0: Good evening. Um, I wanted to introduce you to our speaker tonight, President Skogan.
1: I'm excited to introduce you. I'm excited to introduce you to our scripture reader tonight, Ryan Stutes, senior Ryan Stutes. <laughs>
0: um, before we read, I just wanted to ask, you know, how's it Skogin?
1: It's Skogan good, Ryan.
0: That's great to hear. That's really great to hear. If you wanted to open your pew Bibles tonight to Luke chapter 10, um, it's page 845. We're gonna start with verse 38. Now as they went on their way, he entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, "Lord." Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her." This is the word of our Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ryan. This was a uh, busy weekend at Hope College. There was a lot going on yesterday. Volleyball, the polls, soccer, a million other things. Uh, in addition to everything else that happened yesterday, an important event happened in the president's home yesterday. We added a new member of the Scogan family. And to the extent our family is your family, the Hope College family, you all added a new member of your family. Uh, Paul, I think, do we have a picture? So. Uh, the dog is the new member of the family. <laughs> um, the dog joined us yesterday. His name is Albertus. He's named after Albertus Van Ralti. Uh We call him Albie for short. He's a 10-week-old puppy. And uh, we're excited. Um, we, a few months ago, we told our kids we were living in New York, and uh, our kids had wanted a dog for a long time, but we were living in a small apartment in New York City. We didn't have a backyard and just didn't have a lot of space. And so our kids had wanted a dog for years, and a few months ago, uh, we told our kids that we were moving to Michigan. And our kids were like, what? And we said, we're getting a dog. (laughs) And so um, that's what happened, and it happened yesterday. And so we're adding, uh, not that our lives weren't crazy enough, we're adding a little bit more busyness to our lives, but also some joy, so we're excited about that. Um, Busyness, busyness is what we're gonna talk about tonight. And what I'm doing is I'm doing my own sort of mini-series over the course of this academic year on various uh, topics and themes related to hope, related to the word hope. And what we're going to talk about tonight is hope and busyness. Uh, You're entering the sixth week of classes at Hope College. Uh, Some of you are in the middle of midterms. You've taken on a lot of extracurricular activities. Your plate is full. And if you haven't realized it already, you're realizing now that life as a college student is a full life. It's a busy life. It's a life that at times can be stressful. And the question is, How do you maintain your hope in the midst of that busyness? How do you maintain your sanity? How do you stay grounded in what's truly important through all of the busyness that is a college student's life? To look at those questions, we're gonna talk uh, this evening about uh, this story. We're gonna look at this story that was just read from Luke 10. It's the story of two roommates, uh, Mary and Martha. And uh, these two roommates, they actually, they happen to be sisters, Mary and Martha. And they're not just roommates, they're not just sisters, but they also happen to be close friends with Jesus. And it's worth noting, I think, that uh, Jesus's inner circle didn't just include men. There were also some women in his inner circle. And Mary and Martha were part of that inner circle. They were part of his closest group of friends. And Mary and Martha had something that Jesus himself didn't have. They had a house which meant that when Jesus was in the area, this was a place where he would often come to stay and come to eat. And it would have been a privilege for them to have Jesus over. Jesus is a big celebrity at the time. He's the most well-known person in the world probably at that time. And so it was, uh, you know, it came with some prestige to have Jesus over. But it also came with a lot of work to have Jesus over because Jesus didn't travel by himself. He traveled with an entourage. And when Jesus came over, it meant that there were also 12 burly fishermen who came over. And that meant that having Jesus over, yes, it was a privilege. Yes, there was prestige that came with it, but it also meant that there was a lot of work to having Jesus over. And the work is what this story in Luke 10 is about. I love this story. I love this story. And I think one of the reasons why I love this story is because it's so small, it's so mundane, it's so human. So many of the stories in the Bible are these big, grand, epic stories. I mean, you know the phrase, it's a tale of biblical proportions. That phrase exists because a lot of the stories in the Bible are these huge, epic stories. The flood, the parting of the Red Sea, Daniel and the Lion's Den, the resurrection from the dead, they're they're great stories, they're huge, great stories, but sometimes they're hard to relate to on a human level. This story is not a tale of biblical proportions. This tale is a really small human story. And if you've ever had anybody over to your cottage or your house or your dorm room, you can relate to this story. You know exactly what happens when you have somebody over, especially when you have a group of people over. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do to get ready, to prepare the food, to get your place tidied up. There's a lot of work to do. And sometimes it's the case that uh, there simply isn't enough time to do all the work that you want to do before the group or the person arrives. And that's the setting here. That's exactly what's happened here. And you can imagine the way this has played out with Mary and Martha before Jesus and his guests arrive. Mary and Martha are in the kitchen and they're doing whatever they can to get ready in a hurry. And all of a sudden, Jesus and his guests arrive. And Mary says to Martha, we got to stop. Our guests are here. We have to stop. And Martha says to Mary, we can't stop. Look at this. We can't serve this. The hummus isn't smooth enough yet. We can't serve this. And Mary says, well, it's going to have to be good enough. Our guests are here, and it would be rude to stay in the kitchen. We have to go out and be with our guests. Martha, and you should do the same. And and Martha says to Mary, no way, I'm not doing that. I'm going to stay and make sure that the house is tidy and that the food is ready because these guests are a big deal. And I want to make sure that the food and the house is ready for these guests. And Mary says, well, fine, but I'm going to go and be with our guests. And I think you should, too. And Martha says, well, fine, I'm going to stay here and do the work. And I would appreciate if you would help me. And Mary says, fine. And Martha says, fine. And then the doorbell rings. And Mary goes to open the door, and it's Jesus. You can imagine this. Mary says, oh, hi, Jesus, so great, great to see you. And meanwhile, Jesus says, where's Martha? And Mary's like, oh, Martha, she's in the kitchen, just wrapping up a few things, she'll be out here in a minute. And meanwhile, Martha is in the kitchen, and she's sobbing by now, and she's slamming pots and pans together, and she's getting herself so worked up over the injustice of this situation. Why is it that I always have to do all the work around here? My sister never does her fair share. I'm always the one doing all the work around here. And meanwhile, Martha's in the kitchen getting herself so worked up, and what she hears out in the living room is Mary and their guests laughing and having a good time. And Martha is just getting herself so worked up, she reaches a boiling point to where she explodes, and she storms out into the living room. And she looks at Jesus and she says, Jesus, don't you even care that Mary has left me alone to do all the work? And this is where the story gets really interesting, because most of us can relate to the experience of having an argument or a disagreement or a heated conversation just before the guests arrive. But most of us are pretty good at holding it together once the guests are there. If the argument that existed before the guests got there explodes into the room when the guests are there, it just creates this really awkward environment because the guests had no idea. The company had no idea that something was going on before they got there. And that's what happens here. Martha can't hold it together. And so Martha lets this argument that existed before Jesus got there explode into the open. And Martha looks at Jesus and she says, Jesus, don't you even care that Mary has left me alone to do all the work? And what Martha says next is truly remarkable. It's truly remarkable. Martha looks at Jesus and she tells Jesus, she says to Jesus, tell her to help me. Martha gives Jesus a command, and it's not just a command, it's a double command. She's telling Jesus to tell someone else what to do. You don't see this a lot in the scripture. A lot of people come to Jesus and they ask questions. That happens a lot. It's not very often that people come to Jesus with a command. Peter tries this once. Peter tries telling Jesus what to do once, and Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. (laughs) So this is a risky thing to do. It's a risky thing to try to give Jesus a command. And that's what Martha does here, and it's not just a command, but it's a double command. Martha says, Jesus, tell her to help me. And you can imagine, Martha, Martha, by this point, she's gotten herself so worked up in her own little world that she thinks she knows how Jesus is gonna respond to this. She thinks Jesus is going to say, oh, my goodness, Martha, I had no idea you were doing all this work all by yourself. Mary, you're just sitting here at my feet, just hanging out. Mary, you're so lazy. Mary, honestly, the only good thing I can see in this situation is at least you have a good role model for your sister, for your roommate. Like, at least you have somebody who you can look up to. Mary, get in the kitchen and help your sister. That's what Martha thinks Jesus is going to say. And that's not what Jesus says. Martha thinks Jesus is gonna say to Mary, Mary, you should be more like Martha. And Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, Jesus looks at Martha and he says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset about many things, but Mary has chosen what is right. She's chosen what is right. And the word chosen there is the key word. See, when we get busy, when we get stressed out, when our lives are full, we tend to blame it on somebody else. If only my roommate would clean up more. If only my partners in this group project would pick up their fair share of the load. If only my professors would give less reading and less homework. When we're busy, we tend to blame it on other people. And Jesus is saying, no, Martha, you made the choice. You made the choice to be too busy for me. And he says, you're worried and you're upset about many things, but only one thing matters. Only one thing matters. And what he's saying to her, What he's saying to her is, Martha, you're worried about stuff. You're anxious about stuff that I just don't care about. I just don't care about. And the question is, what are you worried about? What are you focused on that Jesus just doesn't doesn't care about? It's probably a good thing. It's probably a legitimate thing. For for Martha, at least in this story, what she's focused on, what she cares about, is cleanliness and good food. Those are great things. There's nothing wrong with that. They're very legitimate things. Um, But for Martha, these have probably become things that are part of her identity. Martha probably loves it when people say, I love going to Martha's house. Her hummus is the smoothest hummus in town. I love going to Martha's house. Her place is so clean. It's just so peaceful when I go there. It's probably become part of Martha's identity. And Jesus is saying, that's great, but I have your identity grounded in something so much bigger than that. You care about things, Martha, that I just don't care about. And the question for you tonight is, what do you care about that Jesus doesn't care about? Jesus says only one thing matters. Only one thing matters, and it's spending time with God. And what Jesus says to you is spending time with God or not is a decision, it's something you can control so I wanna to try to get really practical tonight. I wanna to try to give you some tips because you're sitting there thinking, okay, I got it. He's telling us to spend more time with God, but my life is so full and this is just adding one more thing to my to-do list. I already have a lot of things I'm trying to fit in and you're telling me, okay, now I gotta to try to fit this in. So I wanna to try to get practical with you. Uh, I wanna to try to get practical with you tonight and I wanna give you two things that will hopefully help you make this a reality in your life. The first thing I wanna tell you and hang with me on this, the first thing is that actually, you should be with God all the time. You should be spending every minute, every second with God. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament was in constant dialogue with God all the time. Every book he writes, he starts with a prayer. And he's, he's saying things like, I'm always praying for you. I'm continually praying, I'm praying without ceasing. Paul is just in this constant ongoing conversation with God. He's just always praying. And you might say, wow, that's just, you just made a huge leap for me. I mean, we went from talking about trying to fit God into my busy life, and now you're saying I should be with God all the time. But here's what I want to say to you. Praying all the time is actually the first step. And it's not only the first step, but it's actually by far the easiest step to developing a real relationship with God. You know why? Because the reality is, you're talking to yourself all the time. You are. You're having an ongoing conversation with yourself. We're all, we all are. Every day, all day and all night, we're, we're having this ongoing conversation with ourselves in our heads. At least I hope you are. Otherwise, I'm really messed up. Okay. No, we, we all do this. We are all talking to ourselves all day, every day. And the key is to simply take that conversation, the conversation you're already having with yourself, take that conversation and simply redirect it into a conversation with God. Everything you're saying to yourself, instead of saying it to yourself, say it to God. Which means that prayer doesn't have to be these big religious thoughts. It doesn't have to be a long thought. It doesn't have to be a deep thought. Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're saying to yourself, simply turn it around and make it a comment to God. That's the first place to start. And it can be whatever you're thinking. You can just say like, God, this is a really nice day. Thank you for this one. Or in the case of this day, you can say, God, this is not a very nice day. And just leave it there. Don't say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just leave it there and let your life be this lingering, ongoing conversation with God. That's the first step to developing a real relationship with God. Just take the conversation that you're already having with yourself take that conversation, take every thought that you're already saying to yourself and just redirect it into a conversation with God. You'll find, by the way, that your, your thought life will immediately be transformed because thoughts, things you're saying to yourself, you realize, oh wow, if I'm thinking this, I probably shouldn't be thinking this or I just saw this person and I'm judging this person and if I'm saying that to God, it, just, it, it will immediately, it will immediately transform your thought life. That's the first step. The first step is to just take the thoughts that you're already having and instead of saying it to yourself, say it to God. But what you then need to do is then you need to set aside time. You need to set aside specific time to have a meeting with God where you go deep with God. See, my my wife and I, Sarah and I, all day, every day, we're having some level of conversation all the time. We're texting each other. We're forwarding emails. She's sending me pictures of the kids. Like all day, every day, we're having some level of conversation. But if our relationship stayed there, if it stayed with that kind of uh, conversation, it, it would be a pretty shallow relationship at best, so we schedule date nights. We do once a week a date night. And in the evenings after the kids are in bed, we have conversation where we go deep on particular topics. And we have to do that, otherwise our our relationship will stay pretty superficial. And you have to do the same with God. You have to schedule time with God, where you go deep with God, where you get to know Him. And what I want to suggest to you today is that you should make it daily, and you should make it a meaningful amount of time. My recommendation is to set aside 45 minutes every day to have a meeting with God. Every day, 45 minutes. And what you might be thinking is, oh boy, that sounds like a lot. How about if I start with five or 10 minutes and then I let it grow from there? But if you think of this as a real meeting with a real person, which it is, then first of all, like you wouldn't set up coffee with somebody, you wouldn't say, hey, can you meet for coffee to have a deep conversation? I wanna meet for five or 10 minutes. You can't do it with a person. You can't go deep in five or 10 minutes. For me, in my time with God, it takes me 15 minutes just to get my head in the right mindset anyway. So I think you need to set aside real time to go deep with God. I think you need to do it daily. Um, Which means you have to give something up. You just have to give something up to make this work. And your temptation will be to try to give up sleep. You'll try to get up earlier or try to stay up later to fit this in. And first of all, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't give up sleep. And second of all, you're guaranteed to make this not work if that's what you try to do. Because it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable to try to give up sleep. So what you actually need to give up is some activity or some kind of work. You just need to give something up. I can't tell you what it is. You've got to figure that out for yourself. But we're talking about you having a daily meeting with your creator. It's kind of a big deal. And you can find something in your schedule to give up to make this a reality. You can, I promise you. I can't tell you what it is, but you can do it. The second thing you need to do is then, once you've uh, carved out the time in your schedule, you need to find a time and a place to do it. I recommend having it be the same time and the same place every day. Um, The campus is big. Find a, a, a nook on campus that's your place of solitude. Find a place on campus where you can go and that's the place where you and God go deep. Uh, If you need help finding a place, ask Trigg, or ask Paul Borsma, or ask one of the campus ministry staff. There's a lot of people who've been around here forever, and know the nooks and crannies of this campus in and out. So, find a place where you can have your time of solitude with God that's your place, and you go to the same place every day, and that's where you have solitude with God. I also, I recommend having this be the same time of day every day. Uh, and you have to figure out what works for you. Maybe it's the morning, maybe it's lunchtime, maybe it's in the evening, maybe it's before you go to bed. Y- you have to figure out what time of day works best for you. I will say that I've experimented with this a lot over the course of many, many years. And I've tried it in the morning, I've tried it in the evening, I've tried it at lunchtime, I've tried it all different things. What works best for me, what's, what's, what's most um, powerful for me is to do it in the morning. And I love having my first cup of coffee every day be a cup of coffee with my creator. And maybe for whatever reason, mornings don't work for you. But what I've found is that if, it's not like I'm guaranteed to have a good day if I start my days that way, but I feel like I'm almost always guaranteed to have a bad day if I don't start my days that way. So for me, it's mornings. And for me, it, it's just become um, something that I look forward to, something that I love getting up in the mornings to have this cup of coffee with my creator. So, uh, that's kind of um, what we've talked about is finding a time and place to do it, setting aside time on your calendar. What we haven't talked about is what actually is this time? Because you might say, okay, uh, let's say I've hung with you so far and I can find 45 minutes in the same time in the same place every day. What exactly do you want me to do during this 45 minutes? What exactly are you talking about this time looking like? What I would suggest to you is that you keep this time — first of all, have it be a fluid agenda. Don't say to yourself, I'm gonna spend 20 minutes reading the Bible and 20 minutes praying. Let it be fluid. First of all, reading the Bible is a means to an end. Unless you want to be a Bible scholar, reading the Bible is a means to an end. Prayer is a means to an end. The end is a relationship with your Creator. So don't stick to some structured, overly uh, rigorous agenda. Let it be fluid. I might suggest starting with a song, maybe a worship song that's meaningful to you or or starting with a psalm, reading a psalm. Find a place to start that gets your head in the right space and then kind of just let it go from there. As a thought pops into your head, pray for that thought. As a person pops into your head, pray for that person. As a piece of scripture pops into your head, look up that scripture. As a song pops into your head, look up that song and listen to it. Here's the thing that I've learned. If stuff pops into your head during your meeting with God, there's a good chance that thought is from God. So go with it, follow that thread and see where it goes. Don't be overly structured. Let this time morph and evolve the way a real conversation with a real person would evolve. Because this is a real conversation with a real being, a real personal being, your creator. The second thing I would say in terms of how to use this time is I would advise you to use your phone use your phone. Phones are amazing. They are incredible devices. And we've all become ADD fried by technology anyway. So just lean into that and use your phone. Um, You can read the Bible on your phone. You can record your prayers on your phone. You can listen to music on your phone. You can do everything on your phone. You'll have to turn uh, turn it on airplane mode or turn the signal off or whatever so that you're not getting... Uh, text messages and emails that will distract you during your meeting with God, but use your phone. I've been doing this for years and years, and it's so good. I have hundreds and hundreds of pages of prayers recorded on my Bible, and some of the sweetest moments I've ever had in my meetings with God are where I'm going back and looking at things that I was praying for a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, and there's, I find things that I don't even remember I was praying for. People I don't even remember praying for. Things, Specific things I was praying for that God answered months later, years later, and I don't even remember praying for it. And for me, that's become... Um, one of the best times about my daily meetings with God. What's been so fun for me, um, especially recently, is I've been going back and looking at what I was praying for a year ago this date. Because a year ago right now, I was in the throes of the search process for this job. And it's just been remarkable for me to go back and look at the things I was praying for. God, I need wisdom for this conversation. God, should I say this in the interview? And these specific things I was asking for God's guidance on, and he answered them, it's amazing. So use your phone, record your prayers on your phone. For me, that's been one of the sweetest things about these daily meetings with God. Another thing I force myself to do every day is I force myself to write down at least two or three things that I'm grateful for. And I just start that way. God, thank you for this. Thank you for this person. Thank you for this situation. Thank you for the good meal last night, something. Think of something that you're grateful for. And what I've learned about God, God is so tender. He's, he's like such a lover, and as you lean into him with gratitude, he leans back, and as you say, God, I love you so much for just this moment that I got to have last night with my family, as you lean into him with gratitude, you'll feel him through the Holy Spirit leaning back on you and loving on you, and it's incredible. It's incredible. So I would encourage you to force yourself to think about what you're grateful for, and maybe that's a good place for you to start. I've... Um, been doing this for years, as I said, and I've been hesitating to say this because this will sound like bragging, and so, I don't know, I guess I'm just gonna say it. Uh, I would suggest to you that I'm probably one of the busiest people in this room, maybe the busiest person in this room. And if I can find time to do this, so can you. And I do find time to do this. In fact, um, as I said, I've been recording these on my phone for years now, and I just hit 700 consecutive days of my daily meeting with God. That means almost two years without missing at least 45 minutes with God. And most of those days, it's not been drudgery. It's not been something I've forced myself to do, but rather it's been something I long, something I crave, something I I, I can't wait for it. I'm addicted. I'm addicted to it. And it takes time, it takes time because you have to develop the habit, you have to get into the routine. But once you get there, you will fall in love with it. You will, I promise you. So you have to first just develop the routine. And I think there's a lot of social science on on how you develop routines. It has to start with a really strong motivation. Uh, For me, motivation has to start with the head. It has to start with some level of reasoning, some level of intellect. And so the why you should do this, I think the why starts with, a reasoned calculation of where your hope actually comes from. Where your hope actually comes from. See, see, the world thinks that your hope lies in you and in your efforts and in your striving. The view of the world is that you determine your own success. This is, this is the view of the world. This is Doc Brown at the end of the Back to the Future trilogy. This is how he describes life. You remember what he says at the, thir- at the end of the third movie, the Back to the Future movies? He says, your future is what you make it, so make it a good one. That's the, basically the view of the world, especially the American world. Your future is up to you. You know what, first of all, if that were actually true, I mean, how scary would that be? How much weight would you be carrying on yourself if it was really all up to you? You wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. You'd be so scared to like make a wrong move to screw things up. Fortunately, it's not true. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 9 that the Lord determines your steps. So the Lord is in charge of everything. The Lord is the one who's determining your life. And second of all, the Bible says in Psalm 127, that unless the Lord builds the house, your labor is in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, your labor is in vain. See, God is the one doing the real work. And the question for you is, do you want to be part of that work? Do you want to be part of God's work, the real work, the only work that really matters? Or do you want to be doing whatever you find fun and fulfilling and interesting? You can do it. God gives you the choice. God gives you the choice to be Mary or Martha. But the question is, do you want to be part of God's work, building the house, or do you want to be laboring in vain? It's remarkable to me that God gives you the choice, but he does. What I've learned is that the only way to make your life fulfilling is to learn to get to know God's voice, to learn to get to know him. To, and the way you do that, the way you get to know him is just by spending time with him. And you'll get to know his voice, you'll get to discern what he's telling you to do. And yeah, sometimes it may seem totally irrational to stop what you're doing when you're in the middle of an incredibly busy season of your life, to just stop what you're doing, to stop in the middle of an incredibly busy season and spend time just sitting at the feet of Jesus, not doing anything but hanging out with him. That's That's what Mary is doing in this story, just sitting at the feet of Jesus, hanging out with him. There will be times in your life when you have so much on your plate, so much on your to-do list, and probably now is one of them, where it will seem to you that's totally an irrational thing to do. But I would suggest to you that it's actually by far the most rational thing to do, to sit with your Creator, especially in moments of incredible busyness. Two weeks ago, I did something from this stage that by any human measure was incredibly irrational. Two weeks ago, Friday, during my inauguration speech, I laid out a vision for Hope College, a vision that we could dramatically rethink our funding model to the point where one day we might not have to charge tuition at all. By any account, this is a totally crazy thing to say. Why would I just weeks into my job take my own success on a goal that by any human measure is a seemingly impossible goal? The reason is because I believe God gave me this vision. And I believe God has been talking to me about this vision for more than a year. I wrote that speech in July, and up until three days before the speech, it didn't have anything about that in it. And God kept saying to me in these daily meetings with him, when are you going to say it out loud? I've been talking to you about this vision, when are you going to say it out loud? So I said it out loud, even though I didn't really want to, because it's scary and it's big, but I said it out loud. I said it out loud because I just believe that God is real, I believe that he is fact. And I believe that God has given me this vision. And as an act of faith, I said it out loud. And the other thing I truly believe to my core is that God is going to make it happen. I don't know when, I don't know how. I've spent the last two weeks, people come up to me and they say, that's a great idea. What's your plan to make it happen? What's your strategy to make it happen? There's no plan. There's no strategy to make it happen. (laughs) I have no idea how God is going to bring this into being. But I know he is going to bring this into being. Do you know why I know he's gonna bring this into being? Because he told me, he told me during daily meetings with God, and it started more than a year ago when he started talking to me about this. And here's the other thing. If I had let my own busyness crowd out my time with God, if I had let my own busyness crowd out my time with God, I wouldn't have gotten the vision. I wouldn't have gotten this vision. I would have been working on who knows what for Hope College. Maybe I wouldn't even be here. I don't know. I would have been working on something, but it wouldn't have been this. If I had let my own busyness crowd out my time with God, I wouldn't have gotten this vision. And here's the other thing that's totally scary. That doesn't mean God wouldn't have done it. God's God. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. He's going to do whatever he wants to do for Hope College. And if he wants us to have a different tuition model, he's going to make it happen. And if I wasn't the one listening to him, he would have found somebody else who was listening to him. He doesn't need me. He would have found somebody else. The question is, do you want to be part of God's work? Do you want to be part of God's work, the big work, the only work that really matters? Or do you want to be doing whatever you think is fun and fulfilling and interesting? Do you want to be Mary or do you want to be Martha? Where do you find your identity? Is your identity at the feet of Jesus or is your identity in smooth hummus? That's what you have to decide. (laughs) At the end of the day, only one thing matters. That's what Jesus says. You know, Jesus came to earth for one reason. Jesus died for one reason. He died so that you and I can have access to God. That's what it's all about. That's why Jesus says only one thing matters. And, you know, the amazing thing about God is God does give you a choice. He gives you the choice between, between being Mary or Martha. But he has such a strong opinion on what he wants you to choose. He cares about what, he, what you do. Somewhere along the line, the philosophers and the theologians have gotten a hold of God, and they've turned him into a set of qualities. They say God is all-present, and God is all-knowing, and God is all-powerful. Yes, God has those qualities, but you read the Bible, God is not a set of qualities. God is a being. God is a person. He's a person with feelings. And what's so clear all throughout the Bible is that God is incredibly impacted by us. There's all these passages in the Bible where he's trying to tell us how hurt he is, that we are ignoring him. And it's remarkable to me, God gives us a choice, and yet he cares so much about what choice we make. God desperately wants you to be spending time with him. He does. He wants you to make the choice to be Mary, sitting at his feet. But it's a choice. It's a choice. Let's pray. Father, we're overwhelmed by the fact that you, the God of the universe, a God who's so big, it says in the Psalms, that you stoop down to look upon the heavens. We're just overwhelmed by the fact that you care enough about us to want us to spend time with you. Father, I pray that you would help us make this a reality. I pray that you'd help, help us figure out the practical things. Help us figure out what to give up. Help us find time and places to do this. Help us think of this as a meeting a daily meeting with you, and help us make that real. And God, I pray that as we do this as a campus, that you would lean back, that you would speak to us, that you would show us how much you love us, that you would show us what our identity is in you. You formed us, you made us, you love us more deeply than we can possibly imagine. I pray that you would show us how close and faithful and near you are. In the holy name of Jesus, we pray, amen.